Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. So, hold on. I'll explain. I'll explain. Luke chapter 11. We're starting a new study through the Gospel of Luke once again. No. Just kidding. Luke 11. So, after finishing the book of Acts last week, and in praying and seeking the Lord on what He wanted us to study next... Um, I have like a running list of books that over the years I've had kind of like of stuff that I've prayed through, like, Lord, would this be it? Would this be the time? And um, just this past week as I was uh, praying some more with a couple of the books that I felt really more narrowed down towards, um, I just really uh, had, a, had a real sense as I read through this entire book uh, once again, that, that this is where he wanted us to land in this season and life of our church. And so I'm excited to announce that, that in two weeks, we're going to be beginning a new study through the book of Nehemiah. And so really pumped about that. Um, as I read it again, and we read it in our daily Bible reading not too long ago. And, um, but as I read it again over this past week and then listened to it again as well all the way through, um, it just struck me how applicable that book is for not just where we are at as a society, uh, what's going on in our world, but even the state of the church. There's such a, there's so much damage and brokenness and just a need for rebuilding and renewal. And so as I thought about those things, rebuilding and renewal, I just thought, gosh, like we've come out of a season even as a church where I think in a lot of ways there's, a, there's almost like a recommissioning to be about the building again, to rebuild, because there's been so much that's been torn down. Return to the wall. And that wall not being like, oh, we're going to keep people out. But that wall being symbolic in a lot of ways of the spiritual state, the spiritual health of where we're at, where our, you know, our country's at, our state, the people around us, and that God's called us to, to be about you know, standing in the gap and to see the emphasis that Nehemiah had in his life on prayer. Like throughout the whole book, we see these moments where He's throwing up a quick prayer. He's spending four months fasting and praying. He's praying in a moment out loud, Lord, like, give me favor. Like, just seeing how Nehemiah was this man of prayer who God had his ear. And because God had his ear, he was able to steer him and, and burden him and then move him and position him and, and even locationally move him to, to do what God had called him to do, to be about the kingdom of God in his day that I, I really feel so strongly that, that, that there's so much there for us to take away for our own lives and as we move forward as a church in this new year of ministry and, and sort of to prepare our hearts with that. And to, as I was reminded of how much Nehemiah prayed, I just thought, you know what, there's one area that for us as people I, I think we can feel the most condemned in or, or convicted by, and that's often in our prayer life. You know, there's all, I think any of us could look and go, I could probably pray some more. If there was an area I could grow in, I could probably grow in prayer some more. Like, and to know that as we are going to be challenged with the book of Nehemiah and his prayer life as well, I just thought, gosh, what a great opportunity for us in, in the, the two weeks leading up to the new book study in Nehemiah to be able to actually just learn from Jesus how to pray. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We're beginning a two-part study I've titled appropriately because this is actually what one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. You ever ask the Lord that question? Like, Lord, teach me to pray. I, I feel like there's things in my life where even, you know, 28 years, I think now, removed from the moment I gave my life really to the Lord that I have still, to this day, will ask the Lord, Lord, teach me the really foundational, basic things. Lord, teach me how to hear your voice better. 
Lord, teach me how to follow you. Still today, I, I still pray those sorts of prayers. I will still pray, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me how to study your word. Teach me how to love people. Teach me how to teach. Teach me how to shepherd. And there's these very simple sort of basic foundational things that we can always grow in. Jesus' disciples at this point in the Gospel of Luke had already been with him for a couple years. They had even been taught by Jesus before this, a model of prayer that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, actually right after he appointed them as his apostles. And yet still, a couple years in, they're like, I don't feel like I know how to pray very well. Jesus, will you teach us? And so we're going to be covering this in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. We're going to today just actually make it through the first four verses. And then next week we'll finish the rest. But I, I really pray these studies help sort of shape and, and strengthen and equip us in our own prayer lives, but also kind of help prepare us uh, for the challenges and the encouragement we're going to get from the book of Nehemiah as well. So let's get into this account. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 11. It says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You know, we saw this throughout our study of the, the gospel of Luke several years back, but Luke does such a great job throughout his gospel account of reminding us that Jesus prayed regularly and continually, that it was a priority to, uh, priority to him. It was something that he valued highly. It was hugely important in his relationship with his father. And I think if anyone we would feel like is exempt from needing to be a person of prayer, we would go, it's Jesus. He's God in human flesh. Like if there's anybody that probably didn't need to pray so much or maybe didn't really need to pray at all, we would go, it's Jesus. And yet Jesus was this example of prayer. He was an example of what it looked like to commune with the Father. An example of like, gosh, I, I need to get my direction from the Father. I, I, I need that time with the Father. And, and so for us, I, we're, we're definitely not in a better place than Jesus was. If anything, we're more in need than Jesus was. And, and especially in need of, of being people of prayer. But Jesus' communion with his Father through prayer was, was a powerful example to his disciples. It's a powerful example to us. And we're told here in verse 1 that Jesus was in a certain place. He's praying, so he's communicating with his Father. No doubt he's probably spending some time in silence, waiting upon his Father. He's receiving direction and instruction from his father, and when he stopped, one of Jesus' disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So we see that Jesus' disciples here were near to Jesus as he was praying. They were watching him, probably hearing him. Wouldn't it be awesome to, I mean, we have some of the prayers of Jesus listed for us in Scripture, and they're powerful, but we don't have all of them. And you don't wish, don't you wish that you were the disciples just right in that moment, you're hearing Jesus talking to his Father. Man, how powerful, how impacting would that be for you? It no doubt impacted his disciples. This is why one of them says, hey, as soon as there's a break, as soon as, you know, it seems Jesus had sort of maybe moved on from that time of prayer, like, hey, Jesus, hold on a second. Can you, can you teach us? And I, I love it when the disciples asked Jesus things throughout the gospel accounts that we are always beneficiaries of the things that they asked. Because like, we read the parables, for example, and we're like, I don't. If we didn't have the follow-up of when Jesus' disciples said, I don't get it. What did you mean by that, Jesus? When you said that, what, what did you mean? If we didn't have those follow-up conversations, we would have the parable without the explanation, and we would probably in this, be in the same place today. We'd be like, yeah, I was talking about this seed, and uh, 
guy sowing the seed. Birds came. There's some ground. Pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but we wouldn't necessarily come away going, the seed's the word, the birds the, is the devil, the soil is the state of people's hearts. We'd be like, I don't, uh, Jesus liked planting? He liked, I don't know. Anytime the disciples ask Jesus something, it's like, thank you. I wonder the same thing. What did you mean by that? Jesus, how do we pray? Thank you, disciple, whoever you were. We don't even have who it was listed for us. No one could take credit for this. None of the disciples go, well, I was the one who asked him how to pray. I was the one who really wanted to grow in my prayer life. Like, you guys all didn't care, but I did. Luke's like, I'm not even putting the dude's name on here. Like, let's leave him out. One of the disciples asked Jesus this. Thank you, Lord, for that. But understand, as we even consider this question, that these disciples were not strangers to prayer. It's not like they had no foundational sort of understanding of what prayer was. It's not like they're going, I don't even know what prayer is. The the Jewish culture was based around the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The the temple in Jerusalem was was a focal point in the nation, they, they were familiar with the sacrificial system. They were brought up with local synagogue attendance and participation, prayers that would have happened, teachings that would have happened. They were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and songs of praise, and they would have been in Jerusalem for the several set feasts uh, that happened throughout the year. And prayer was definitely one of those things that was central to the life of the Jewish people, but before John the Baptist, because that's who they're referring to here when they said John, and before Jesus came on the scene, that the prevailing example, if they were to learn how to pray, if they were to look at somebody and go, oh, that's how you pray, were the, the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders of the day. That's who was modeling prayer for the nation. And Jesus had already spoken about about prayer earlier on in his ministry after he had appointed his apostles, and he spoke to them and a crowd of his disciples. We know this as the Sermon on the Mount. There's a large gathering of people. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, when he kind of first started speaking about prayer, teaching about prayer, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, Jesus said this, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He's like, let me teach you how to pray. Don't do it like them. Isn't that great when you, I mean, it's not great to have a negative example, but we learn, I feel like, really well from negative examples. Like, don't be like them. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe when you're growing up, there was a time when maybe you weren't and you have a sibling and you weren't the one getting into trouble, but your sibling was, Maybe your parents would have said something like, don't act like your brother. Don't, don't be like your sister right now, in their, you know, however they're being. But Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Notice that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him." What had been modeled to these disciples of prayer was what they had seen in the religious leaders who Jesus says, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They love to be recognized in the synagogues. They love to stand on the street corners. They love to be seen by others as spiritual. They, they loved in their pride to pray self-righteous prayers. At one point in one of the gospel accounts, Jesus points out how there was a man who came 
to God in prayer at the temple, and he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, Father, forgive me. I'm, you know, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Well, the self-righteous Pharisee said, Father, I thank you that I'm, God, I thank you I'm not like this guy. You imagine? The self-righteousness, the hypocrisy, elevating themselves, condemning others, praying long, flowing, maybe elegant prayers, but ultimately they all lacked a real relationship with the living God. It was all lip service. Jesus told his disciples again, do not be like them. Be different. But now fast forward towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and, and thankfully, again, one of his disciples has the boldness to ask Jesus this question regarding prayer. You know, when these disciples saw and heard Jesus praying, something about the way Jesus prayed was so different than what they had known prayer to be from the example of the religious leaders, so much so that they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They knew John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray when he was still alive and ministering before he, before he was beheaded. So that, that knowledge gave them the courage to ask Jesus now to teach them. And, and we have that teaching in verses 2 through 4. Let's look at, that, look at that. Verse 2, so he said to them, I'm not teaching you to pray. Aren't you thankful that Jesus wasn't like, no. You guys, you don't get it. You guys are a mess. Peter, you're going to deny me. Judas, you're going to betray me. You, know, you guys are all over the map. Like, I don't know that I want to. I'm so thankful for how gracious Jesus is. Like, yeah, you want to learn how to pray? Let's do this. I love it. The, the Bible tells us anyway, those who come to him will never be put to shame. Do you love that about the Lord? He never looks at us and goes, nah, dude, get, get your act together first. He's like, cool, you're coming to me? Like, let's, let's do this. I got you. He said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Without hesitation, Jesus meets this disciple in his genuine request. He gives his disciples and all of us a, a model, an example prayer to help them and to help us to know how to approach God rightly and to a, how, to, how to pray more effectively. Now, maybe you grew up or maybe you've heard other people say, like, this is the Lord's Prayer. And oftentimes, this is how it's described. You know, say the Lord's Prayer. But this really isn't the Lord's Prayer. This is really the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus is saying, this is how you're going to pray. When you pray, say it's also important to understand that Jesus didn't give his disciples nor us this prayer so that it would be something that became rote and rehearsed and had to be said word by word verbatim every single time any one of us enters into a time of prayer. Like, you can pray other things, but make sure you pray this first. Can you imagine Something serious is about to happen. You see a car accident about someone's about to crash your our father who art in heaven, help me your kingdom come there. Lord help me! Like once that's done, Lord help. I can't approach him unless I say this other prayer prayer. This other prayer preps my real prayer. Like this, this isn't for us to go, I have to pray this every single time I pray. Every single time I want to approach the Lord, this is the, i got to say these exact, if I say it out of sync, if I say something wrong, he's not going to accept it. That's not the point here. This is a great prayer. I think occasionally it's great to come back to this prayer and, and pray this prayer. But this wasn't Jesus going every time. 
Anytime you pray, make sure you, you pray this. If you get it wrong, you got to start over from the beginning. More than a specific prayer to be prayed, Jesus is giving us this model, this example prayer. In order that these things, this example, would affect our attitude in prayer and, and would become characteristic of our mindset and our heart when it comes to our daily lives. This prayer, again, it's, it's not as much about specific words to be prayed as much as, much as it's on the condition of our hearts. Because we can commit this prayer to memory and say this prayer word for word and actually not have it come from a heart that's genuinely engaging, communing with the living God that we're supposed to be praying to. But let's get into that. The first part of verse 2, Jesus says, so, uh, it says, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus starts off this model example prayer by pointing us to our Father who's in heaven, whose name is Hallowed, which means to be designated as holy or pure or set apart. You know, we've, over time, we have had different sort of fads of approaching God. And at some point, maybe, trying to remember, maybe 10 years or so ago, we saw in a lot of t-shirts and maybe hats in the different places, Jesus is my homeboy. And, and so we, on one hand, it's like, okay, Jesus called his disciples friend, so we were able to have that closeness as a, as a friend. But I think in the, the sentiment, the sentiment can become where we just don't have a holy awe or respect for who our God is, where we kind of lessen him to a very human level. He's just a homeboy. Homeboys don't really care about what you do. Homeboys are along for the ride. Jesus is my road dog. That could have been another shirt. Don't, I hope it's not. Don't. I'm not saying that it should be. But to, Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven, let's not forget, God dwells in the highest unseen place, the, the place that has the greatest dominion even over all of the physical and temporal realm. Our Father, He's there. He's high and lifted up. When Isaiah saw God in Isaiah chapter 6, he didn't go, you're my homeboy. We're cool. Mm. Just one of those, like an LL Cool J style. He didn't do that. He's like, whoa, it's me. I'm undone. Isaiah just lost it. He's like, I'm unclean. I have unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We're all jacked up, Lord. That, that approach of God to remember, he's God. Let's not forget who we're coming to. He's God. He's not our buddy. He's the living Powerful, sovereign, omnipotent, ever-present, all-knowing God. Our, but I love it that he says, our Father. So he's, he's God. He's in heaven. He reigns supreme over all. He's holy. He's pure. He's set apart. But again, with keeping this emphasis of the condition of our hearts, in, in essence, Jesus is telling us that the only way we can have access to God in prayer is through personal relationship. So it's not just, oh, he's God, because if, we, if all of our mindset in approaching him was, well, he's God, but I'm this lowly, I can't even approach him because I'm this sinful, unholy person. I, how can I even come to him? He's He's in heaven. He reigns supreme like he, how can I come to him? Well, 
Jesus that you can come to him as father. You know, to call God our father means that we must be his children. We must be part of the family of God, which only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And what an amazing thing to know that God would desire to make us his own. Right? He didn't have to do that. He could have said, I'll save you, but let's just, let's keep a little distance. I'll save you. You can come to me as God. But let's, like, I need a little space. Because you guys are really sinful. And he would have been justified in that. We couldn't have faulted him. We'd been good. I get it, God. I know me. I see the people around me. See this world. I get it. But he goes, no, I want to save you. And I want to make you mine. I want to make you part of my family. And to know that that transformation is only possible by being born again. You're born into a family, oftentimes. Except for when we get to this subject of adoption, right? which is actually how God grafts us into his families, through adopting us. But when we think about being born into a family, that's what happens in how we know God as Father. We're born again by the Spirit of God as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, something happens, that moment that we surrender our heart to Jesus. We're, we're not this separate people anymore. We're not these unholy people. We're not these foreign people to the Lord. We become family. We, we have all the rights of what it means to be children. That's a powerful thing. And he's telling us that in coming to the Father in relationship that we're to come with a heart of worship and reverence. See, in Old Testament Scripture, I gave the example of Isaiah, but anytime someone saw a vision of the Lord, it usually followed that person just totally humbling themselves before the Lord, producing an awe and worship of God in that person. We're to come to Him in relationship. We're to come in worship, but we're also to come in reverence, hallowed be your name. Recognizing the holiness, the purity, the perfection, the, the power, the greatness of who our God is. Because a person's name in the Jewish mindset spoke of who a person was. Spoke of their character and their nature. And listen, for us, it's so important for us to have a right view of the character and nature of our God. In order for us to have a, a healthy and vibrant and powerful and intimate prayer life. You know, if we don't really know who God is, we have a hard time approaching him in the right way. And maybe you can look back, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You can look back to maybe early times in your life with Christ. And, and maybe think about the kind of prayers that you prayed. And maybe looking back, you see, wow, those prayers were really me-centric. Come to the Lord's like, and then me, it's just like me time. You know, it's just talking about me and me and me and I and me. You, Lord, but you can you do in me and I need this, right? And maybe then as we grew with the Lord's like, you know what? Maybe I should worship him. Maybe I should thank him. Maybe I should, maybe I should be praying for other people a little bit more. And, and our prayer life grows. It grows because we come to understand who our God is more. And maybe early on, we, would, we came to him a little bit more timidly. We didn't come to him with this boldness and expectation and confidence. Maybe we came to him timidly because we're like, I don't even know if he really wants me to come to him. I don't know if I can really bring these things to him. And then over time, you're like, no, I can. He wants all of it. He wants all of me. 
And I can bring all of me to him. I can bring all of my junk to him. Bring all of my cares to him. The more we come to know and experience the character and nature of our God, the more confident we'll be in how we come to him in prayer. I love how Jesus starts this off. Let's recognize who we're coming to. He's God. He reigns supreme. He's in heaven. He's all the authority. But he's also Father. There's relational intimacy. There's relational access. We don't have to come to someone else. Let me come to this saint. Let me come to this other person. Let me come to Mary. No, we come to the Father. Who are we praying to? We pray to the Father. I come right to the Father. I don't need some side access. I don't need someone else to pray for me. I come straight to the Father. He's got it. Come in relationship with that. I come in worship. You come in worship. We worship him because he's worthy. Relationship, worship, reverence. But then he goes on in verse 2 to say, That as we pray, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the the emphasis on the condition of our hearts being sort of central here. We have to understand that in order for us to genuinely and and truly pray for, for God's kingdom to come, the kingdom of self has to go. Our kingdom is always in opposition to the kingdom of God. Because our kingdom priority for our own life, what we want to build, what we have in mind, what we want to do, what we think about things, how we see people, is not the same as the priorities that God has in his kingdom. They don't match up. You know, we can so easily find ourselves seeking our kingdom, wanting to be about the kingdom of our lives, wanting to build our little empire, so to speak, here in this world right now. When when Jesus is wanting us to be living for his kingdom, longing for his kingdom to come. You ever felt yourself not maybe as excited as scripture would tell us to be about the coming of Jesus Christ? You know, oftentimes, why that's the case? We're so engrossed in our own lives and our own plans that we're kind of okay with Jesus' coming being postponed. Lord, I really, I want to see, I, I kind of want to, I want to get this job, I want to get this relationship, you know? Maybe when you're younger, you're like thinking about the, Maybe marriage off in the future. You're, oh, I really want to go to this college. Or, or then after, I, you know, once I'm out of college, I really want to get this sort of job. Or, you know, now that I have this job, I really want to work my way up. I really would love to get this position. You know, I'd love to be able to retire one day. I'd really be able to have some hobbies. You know, really, this thing. And So when we're in that spot, it's like, we're not going, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're like, it's okay. I'm okay with it not being super quick. I know eventually your kingdom's going to come. There's going to be a physical reign of Christ upon the earth on the millennial reign. It's going to come. So take your time, Lord. Take your time. But maybe that longing, seeking, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, in that seeking first shouldn't be that what, what consumes our mind, what we want so badly is for the kingdom of God to come? Yes, in the invading the hearts of lost people, but like for Jesus to come back? Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount on, in, in Matthew 6.33, he said there, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these Things And he's speaking about like our need for clothing and food, like all these other things, all these other things that you can want, that that are necessities, will be added to you. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. And we needed to hear that. We still need to hear that. Because the primary of our flesh is not to seek first the kingdom of God. It's to seek us. And it happens the moment we wake up. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I slept weird. My back. I need to do some stretches. That happens as you get older. I need a stretch. Oh, man, I need a nicer bed. This bed's old. This pillow's uncomfortable. Again, these are old people, older people problems. When you're younger, you're not thinking, man, my pillow, my bed. You're like, that's cool. I don't know. I slept last night, woke up. I don't even know. That was all dreams, whatever. I need to brush my teeth. Oh, I need to get to work. I need to do this. It's just our, our primary is I seek me. I seek what is in front of me. I seek my own plan. But in us praying for God's kingdom to come, it really does require a a conscious, ongoing surrender of our kingdom, our lives, to Jesus. A conquering of the kingdom we've built up in our own hearts, our own minds. Or, Or else we'll never fully be able to be about the kingdom of God in this way. And we definitely won't have a longing for the spiritual reign of Christ to happen in people's hearts or a longing for the physical reign of Christ upon the earth. But Jesus goes on to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We looked at the subject of the kingdom of God in our study last week, but, but when our focus is on the kingdom of God and on the king of that kingdom, Jesus, we will find ourselves more easily and willingly being submitted to the will of God, where we will actually desire, we will ask for his will to be done instead of our own will. And when we're living for the kingdom of God, when we're submitted and yield to the, to the will of God, we will find ourselves beginning to pray differently. We'll find ourselves beginning to plan and prioritize our lives differently, and we'll begin to see and respond to people and opportunities differently. Why? Because we're about his kingdom and his will. Your kingdom, which means kingdom priorities. That means commission, missional sort of living. I'm living for the kingdom of God. I'm living for the priorities of Jesus, but I'm also living for the will, the plan, the desire of Jesus that's been expressed in Scripture that his spirit speaks into my heart in the moment and in situations, I, that's what I want. But when I'm not praying, when I'm not prioritizing, when I'm not seeking first his kingdom, when I'm not releasing my will into the hands of the Lord and I'm holding it with a death grip, I don't live, you don't live in a way that actually follows this prayer. And really, when we're about our kingdom and our will, we don't approach God the right way. I like what David Gutzik said about this verse in his commentary. He said, this is prayer that puts God's interests first. It's his name, his kingdom, and his will that are primary. Our needs are addressed secondarily. He says, prayer isn't a tool to get what we want from God It is a method to get God's will accomplished in us and all around us. Man, have you ever come to the Lord and you feel like you're bending the Lord's arm in prayer? Get you, Lord, we're gonna get you, we're gonna get you on board. (laughs) Lord, I got this thing. Come on, Lord. Like you're trying to get the Lord in the head, like, let's come over here, Lord. Lord, I'm over here. God, I'm over here. Got this thing over here, Lord. Just come on, Lord. We'll get you on board. We don't say that, but our actions will speak that. How many of us have come to the Lord just we we come to him like he's a, a reluctant 
father. You feel like you have to like talk him into something. Lord, just, I know, I mean, I know, but I'm going to be better, Lord. I'm going to do things better, you know. And then this, but if you could just, you know, help me out this one time and, you know, I'm, and I'm going to get my, and then things are, and I'll live for you and then. Prayer isn't us trying to change God. Oftentimes it's prayer that God's trying to change us. Let me change you. How does he change us? By bringing our will to him. By letting him collapse our own kingdom that we've built of self. Lord, just destroy it. You don't want it. If that's not it, just you do whatever you want, Lord. And then he changes us. He changes our desires. He changes our passions. He puts burdens on our heart. We're going to see that with Nehemiah. Burdened through prayer. To uproot his life for 12 years. Take on a really heavy task. A daunting task. That they didn't seem to be able, uh, capable of, of doing for almost a hundred years before that. But through prayer, God will do that. He'll stir us. He'll realign our priorities. He'll get us on board with his will. He'll position us in certain ways. He'll put people in our lives. He'll, he'll birth things in our hearts for ministry and different things. And, but that all comes by, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth, in my life, in our church, as it is in heaven. Moving on there, in verse 3, Jesus, now in his model example for prayer, he gives an example of personal petition. Verse 3, he says, give us day by day our daily bread. Don't we wish Jesus would have said, give us you know, five years by five. Give us a 20-year. Give me, Lord, a 30-year provision of bread. Give it all up front. I'll stockpile it. I'll be fine. Day by day? Really? You know what day by day means? Every single day I have to be coming back to him. Lord, provide. Take care of me, Lord. You know, the beginning of his teaching on prayer, he's directing us, our, our hearts and minds to the Father. We're reminded of our access to relationship, worship, reverence should well up in our hearts towards God, submitting ourselves fully to him and his kingdom and his will. But now this personal petition in regards to our daily provision, what will keep us living. This is speaking of our necessities, not our wants, but our needs. We live in a very wanty culture, right? It's not a need a lot of times. It's what I want. So when we kind of scale it all back, we say, what do I actually need? It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. We live in an area where there's no lack of want, The want is everywhere, and the want has been fulfilled in a multitude of ways, in all kinds of extravagance and fancy shops and buildings and fancy cars. And it's fine. You can have a fancy car, and you can go to fancy shops, but this want that pervades, and we, we feel like, well, then God should supply my wants. What about my wants? Because those wants in our minds, they flip and they become a need. We approach God with all these needs, but it's just my wants. So in there is some needs. And he's like, let's filter through some of this first. He wants us to ask him for provision. He wants us to rely upon him. Because in this petition, at the heart of it is a reminder of our dependency upon the Lord. You know, our our default is usually to be self-sufficient and independent. You know, we 
want our kids, for those of us that are parents, we want our kids to grow up and be independent. We don't want them coming to us every time they need to make themselves food. Like they're 30 years old, they're like, can you make me lunch? I need lunch. I need dinner. Pack, can you pack my lunch for work? We're like, can't you make your own thing? I'm thankful my girls very independent in that way. They're great cooks, both of them. Make me food at times. I really like that. But there's a bad kind of independence when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Because we can act independent of him. God, I'll make all these things happen in my life. I can take care of me. Oh, I got, uh, I, I, I got myself to this place. I, er, I, I made myself. I'm a made person. I'm self-made. And all along, God's like, who gave you breath in your lungs? Who gave you a beat in your heart? Who gave you skill to do anything? Who gave you a mind to retain information and to understand and to learn and, and do the things that you're doing? Who's the one that's given you favor in your workplace? Who's the one who's done those things? Ultimately, God, he's our provider. But when we act independent of the Lord, man, we are not grateful people. We are not thankful or worshipful towards a toward, uh, kind of people. Because in some ways, we may be worshiping ourselves, worshiping what we've done and what we've made with our own hands. He wants us to be God-dependent. You know, in order for us to pray and ask the Lord to, to give us day by day our daily bread, we have to recognize that our daily source of provision does not ultimately come as a result of our hard work and perspiration, although the Bible does tell us to work to earn a living, but that ultimately our source of provision is God himself. In him we live and move and have our being. He's the one taking care of us. And he's desiring that we'd be coming to him daily, recognizing that he is our source and supply of life, asking him to take care of our daily needs, depending fully upon him, and then praising him for the provision that he supplies us with each and every day. God cares about what's going on in our lives. He sees our needs. He wants to provide what we need, but, but wants us to be prayerful and dependent upon him. Now look at the first half of verse 4. Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This may not be an easy prayer for some of us to pray. Not the first part. Like, okay, Lord, of course, forgive me. Forgive me. But do you want me to forgive others? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. And then, but don't ask me to do that. You know, I believe one of the major reasons Jesus includes this in this model prayer is because sin damages our relationship with God, which in turn damages our prayer life. Show you a couple passages that clearly speak about this. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And then Psalm 66, 18. Isaiah 59, 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. That's not the problem. Nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I hold on to it in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Confession and repentance of sin is to be a crucial and ongoing part of the prayer life of every single disciple of Jesus. This means we have to see sin the way that God does. We can't make light of it. We can't sweep it under the rug. We can't try to redefine it to, to fit into our mindset of how we think it should be. God defines it in his word. What he says is what we have to go on. 
It also means that when God points something out in our lives that doesn't belong, that we, we must not harden our hearts to the conviction and correction of His Spirit speaking into our hearts, but, but humble ourselves before the Lord and, so that our hearts will stay soft and yielded to Him and His work in us. The, the question isn't if we sin. We're all going to sin. We're all going to miss the mark in this life. The question is when we sin, how are we going to respond? The, the proper response of our hearts is to confess and turn away from those sins and turn to the Lord. But after asking forgiveness for our sins, Jesus adds in, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Which teaches us that while that, that withholding forgiveness from others is something else that will damage our prayer life and our fellowship with the Lord. Unforgiveness is never just an issue between us and someone else. Never. Greater than that, it becomes an issue between us and God. Why? Because God said, you must forgive. So when we, un- when we don't, when we unforgive, when we don't, hold, don't when we withhold for- forgiveness, I can't even think of the right phrase there. When forgiveness, not we, to others. Let's yoda it. Forgiveness holds you. Um, wow, that went way off the rails. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we're saying, God, I'm not going to do things your way. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? Because we can minimize unforgiveness. Well, they really hurt me. We could try to justify ourselves. They've done some really bad things to me. And they legitimately, people do hurt us. We've probably been hurt, and, I'm, and we probably hurt somebody. But we're never actually justified in holding on to unforgiveness because God says we must forgive. You forgive just as your Father in heaven has forgiven you. And this might be an area that God is challenging some of us in today because He knows it's not easy, and yet He tells us to do it anyways. We may have something. Maybe we haven't even thought about it because back when the person hurt us, we kind of just, in our minds, we just tried to move on from it. But actual forgiveness maybe has not happened. And maybe for some even within our church body that we go, you know what? I never actually forgave. And maybe before the Lord to come to him and say, God, I, I, I forgive this person. Lord, I release that debt. I've been, I've been keeping this person in my debt, in bondage to me in some way because I've been holding on to this hurt. You know, maybe asking God to help us to forgive, to ask him to soften our hearts towards a person or some people. Watch what he does as you bring those things to him, as you bring those hurts to him. Adding to that, though, I also want to point out that recognizing our own sinfulness and our own need for forgiveness and how God has so freely and graciously forgiven us will help us to be able to forgive those who have wronged us. When we remember how much grace God has extended to us, how can we withhold grace from someone else? But then ending his model prayer, Jesus says, and do not lead us into temptation, verse 4, but deliver us from the evil one. So not just dealing with like the relational hindrances that might happen because of a need for forgiveness or a, a need to forgive others. What about daily struggles? What about temptation? What about trials? What about things that we face? We, we need God's help for that as well. And Jesus knew that. He knew that we would need protection from temptation and deliverance from Satan and his demons and that we might live lives of victory over sin and Satan. Let me show you a couple more passages, these ones reinforcing this. Check out John 17, verse 15. Jesus here praying for his disciples. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The evil one's pretty evil. 
And we see the work of the evil one all over our world, the influence of the devil and all the fallen angels. We see how temptation abounds in our day. And sometimes those things start off as even good things. Sometimes good things can become a stumbling block in our lives. You think, man, I just really want to provide for my family. And then that, desire, that good desire, that even that can be manipulated over time to become, man, you know what? What started out as me just wanting to provide for my family, I'm a workaholic. I don't even see my family anymore. I'm just living to make money now. And to see how things can be used by the enemy and how our own flesh gravitates towards gratifying what it desires, that, that is, that's separate from what God desires for us. And Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm not praying that you should be taken out of the world. You're going to have to deal with things. But Father, prote- protect them. Keep them from the evil one. Paul reminding us, God's faithful. He'll establish us. He'll guard us from the evil one. Temptations are going to come. But we, don't, uh, but we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Go to the one who's able to cause us to be overcomers in the face of temptation. Leading us out of and away from temptation. And Going to the one who can keep us, who can guard us, who can deliver us from the evil one who just wants to destroy us. And I love this. The Lord is faithful. Yes, there's an evil one. But Jesus has prayed for us. And he wants us to pray before we face temptation. Isn't that interesting? This is a, here's a model prayer for us. Not just when we're in temptation, I think some of us need to be better about praying about those things before the temptation even comes because, as I've said in the past, the things that we're more prayerful about, we're more mindful about. When I'm praying, Lord, help me to turn away from temptation, when the temptation comes, my, my mindset is already, well, I've already been praying, Lord, keep me from that, deliver me from that. So when the temptation comes, and, and I'm, more, I'm more easily able to see the way out that then God provides when facing temptation, that, that opportunity of deliverance that God provides in the midst of temptation to not give in to it. Because we don't have to. We don't have to give in to the temptation. And maybe we have a hundred times before, a thousand times before. Today's a new day. The Lord's faithful. The fact that you've struggled with temptation before is not, doesn't diminish the faithfulness of God. It just means we were weak in the moment. We didn't come to him maybe in the moment. We weren't surrendered to him in the moment. We didn't take the way out in the moment. That doesn't mean that he's not faithful or that he's not able. And God wants to establish us to cause us to be fixed in place in lives of holiness before him. You know, we come to the Father in relationship, in worship, in reverence, in humility. We, we come to him submitting to his kingdom and his will. We come in full dependence upon him. We come recognizing our sinfulness. We come asking for him to forgive others that maybe have wronged us. We come n- not holding on to unforgiveness, but instead forgiving others. And we, and we come to him in order to live a life of victory that honors And glorifies him. But added to all that, what Jesus has taught us here is also an invitation. It's not just an example to follow. Like here's something that can influence our prayer lives. It can influence in how we come to the Father in prayer. But this is an invitation that we can come. That we can pray. That we can come to him. That he wants to do these things in our lives. He wants to provide. He wants to be provider and deliverer. For you and for me, he wants to be the one who forgives us and cleanses us. Now the worship team come back up. You know, we read this and, you know, I think if anything, as I said earlier, it's like we can all look at our, our own prayer lives and go, I, I could grow. 
I could grow. Lord, I want to grow. To be able to come back even to this teaching by Jesus. And maybe for some of us today, just to, you know, we just studied it, but to, to walk away from this, saying the same thing, Lord, teach me. Teach me. God, I don't know what to pray at times. I don't know how to pray well. Or, you know what, Lord, I, maybe I could find myself going the whole day and I've not really prayed. Lord, teach me. Teach me in the moment how to pray. What does it look like to pray without ceasing? Because ultimately, God wants us to commune with him. Yes, he wants our ear. But would we know that he already has ours, or that we have his, I should say. We have his ear. His ear is open. The invitation's been given. We can come to him. And that we would even do that today. Maybe for some, it's going, you know what? I need more worship in my life. I need more thankfulness. My prayers have been more of me focused. And it's not bad. We, God wants to hear those things. He wants us to bring all of our cares to him. But to have more of an aspect of thanksgiving, of worship, of praise. Maybe we come away from this and go, you know what? I've been more about my kingdom than his. I've been prioritizing my will maybe over his at times. And maybe we've been finding ourselves living even in some ways independent from God. And to recognize today, look, like we are totally God dependent, even when we don't recognize it, even when we don't realize it, that he's our provider. Maybe if we brought sin here this morning, that we would once again ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to do it. Maybe we've been holding on to unforgiveness this, this morning. Maybe, it's, maybe the first step even is just to go, Lord, help me. Help me to forgive. And Lord, heal those wounds. Maybe heal that relationship. And say, Lord, lead me out of temptation. Help me to live a life of victory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, just with this prayer in mind, this model in mind, we do pray even in this way, our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Lord, you're holy. You're perfect. You are good. Lord, you're powerful and capable and you're not only in heaven, but Lord, because of Jesus, we have you inside of us. Lord, we become the temple of God, each of us. Lord, we couldn't have greater access, greater closeness than we have right now because of Jesus. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. Because your will is already being done perfectly in heaven, Lord. And heaven's awesome. We want, we want our lives now to match. Lord, that your will would be done in us. Your will would be done here in our church. Lord, your will would be done here in this world. God, would you give us day by day our daily bread. Lord, we need you. Even in those moments, Lord, where we don't realize how needy we are. Lord, we do. Lord, be our provider. Lord, forgive us our sins. Lord, we make mistakes. We act in the flesh. Lord, we give ourselves over to our pride. Lord, we don't always obey you. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. And Lord, help us to forgive those who've wronged us. Lord, soften our hearts, maybe even, towards people that we've held on to some unforgiveness. And God, forgive us for our unforgiveness, even. And Lord, lead us out of temptation. Help us to see those ways out, God, that you provide. 
Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Lord, protect us. Lord, we know that Satan just wants to kill and steal and destroy. Lord, help us to live that abundant, spirit-filled, victorious life, Lord, that you provided. Lord, grow us in our prayer lives. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to approach you. Lord, teach us how to live for you. Look, if there's anyone here this morning and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, look, that that first thing is just the way to approach God. It has to be through sonship, becoming a child of God. That only happens through being born again by the Spirit of God. And that's available to every person today that you can be forgiven. You can receive the salvation of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith. If that's anybody in here today, would you just stand where you're at saying, look, that's me. I want Jesus' salvation. I want to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. I want to know that I can approach a holy God because of what Jesus has done. Lord, as a a body of believers, Lord, who just, we want to keep pressing into you, Lord. We want to worship you, to praise you. Lord, to give our hearts to you fully. Lord, as we take the communion elements, as we have opportunity to be prayed for by the prayer team. Lord, as we sing these songs of praise, God, continue to have your way, Lord, in our hearts, in our midst. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.